But hi, Dan. We're here now. We're going to talk about movies, which I think is a fun thing to do. Let's do it. Uh, I think I have a lot more happy, excited things to say in the in uh, segment one tonight. Yeah, I've got next to nothing. Um, we did both see it, so I can chime in on that. Yeah. Um, so why don't we just dive in on that? It's the big movie. People are still, you know, talking about it on Twitter and posting reviews as we record. So we're right on the uh, right on the zeitgeist with this one. I was just gonna say we've captured the yeah, zeitgeist. We have. I was happy to hear that you saw it, and I think we have uh, similar thoughts. Had you seen the first one, or did you have to catch up? I caught up. I watched it like a day before, which actually I'm glad that I did it that way under the circumstances because i feel like i was well prepared to enter chapter two and you have read the book correct um yes and no so we downloaded the audible version for a road trip Mm -hmm. and it is like a 40 hour read right and so i think we made it through maybe half but it's because the novel goes back and forth between the timelines right you feel like you're getting pieces of both movies yes um but i did not reached the end but i had been familiar with the uh the miniseries from the 90s so i'm i'm it competent right so i've never seen the whole of the miniseries i've only seen clips that people post uh but i did i consumed it via audiobook as well and i i took it all down an hour at a time walking around rockland county so i saw the new one and with once upon a time i basically disagreed with the critics who were nitpicking or, or tearing it down. And I said, no, I I really, I love the movie. I think you're wrong in this case. I think I agree with a lot of the criticisms, but I still really like it. Yeah. I liked it a lot too. I had more criticisms about the second one than I did the first one. I really like the, the way it looks. I like Mm -hmm. the way that they adapted it for the most part. I think that if I could have been there in the editing room, I would have maybe gotten rid of the whole parts of each one trying to get their little token. To me, yes. that was overlong and each one was a little too similar. Right. I don't know what I would have done instead. There was, it was also a little off kilter for me because Richie wasn't given much of a backstory in the first one. To me, we understand everybody else's trauma in the club, but not really his. And then mm-hmm. he is the emotional center of the second one. Right, And I sort of wished that since they were making gay stories explicit um, with the couple at the carnival to begin, which of course is in the book, but if whatever that homophobia in Derry could have been connected to Richie's own closetedness, I think that was kind of missed. In 2019, why is a famous right. stand-up comic who's moved to New York City or LA or wherever he is... Um, closeted and terrified that anyone would find out he's gay why that doesn't make yes. any sense unless there's been some sort of a trauma and if in 2019 those sorts of hate crimes are happening at the Derry county fair or whatever um maybe that would be an insight into his history yeah and if you're going to add that dimension uh it really really would have benefited from like you say being explicit and also laying the track in part one which they clearly didn't they they came to part two and said, crap, we need something for Richie. Yeah. I, I, one part that I didn't like was when 
Um, he's being chased, and then Pennywise is floating down on the balloons, and he's just mm-hmm. like, "You've got a secret," you know, like that's like mm-hmm. so cliched. Whenever anybody has a secret, it's always that they're gay, you know. Right. They, it couldn't couldn't possibly be anything else. And so, why why not handle it just a little more artfully or clearly, since you're already being so clear? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with the criticism about the kind of quest scenes in the middle. I did like those chapters. I do like that the book spends time with all the characters, but in a movie, it felt so time loopy. It felt so like, oh, we got to get through this so we can get on with this. And then it didn't all pay off. Some of them were so samey with their childhood experience. And then some of them were so left field and different. They, they have this clubhouse that wasn't referenced before. So I guess the first movie benefits from just being about those kids and their summer and their experience. But the flashbacks in chapter two are a bit tedious, even though I liked seeing the kids again, even with their weird CGI de-aging or whatever, it just was a little bit cumbersome. And there's rumors of an edit that will put it all together. I'm dubious how that would work, but I'd like to see the attempt, I think, because I felt like this movie didn't need to retread so much that it retreaded. I felt like it lost most of the adult story, really. Yeah. When I think back to the the novel, we didn't really spend time with any of the adults in their real life world. It's they're whisked back to Derry, and then they have to face their fears. But their fears are all appear to be about the same, even though they've mm-hmm. all had different stories and traumas. They all seem to oh there's this thing that chases me and then it's a clown and then I'm over it and now I'm good. You know, I, I, that was kind of tedious. And they added like an extra scene in a flashback for each of them as a kid. That was not that different from what they had already experienced. Right. It was unnecessary. You didn't need that. We already remember you could give us a little flashback to something that actually was in the first movie briefly to catch us up or to make it resonate, whatever they could have. Yeah. That all could have been more tidy. All of that said, uh, Stephen King, I I was gonna say he's hard to adapt. I don't know if he is, but he seems to be because they they don't, he's not usually well adapted. I do like the world of dairy that this movie created. I love the cast in both movies. And, um, like you say the the filmmaking, the way that it's shot and presented, I do like watching these movies. I, I will see them again because I enjoy being there. I'm kind of surprised because you don't usually go to these kind of movies. Yeah. And I think it's because of my emotional connection to the book. So the, the jump scares and the horror elements to me are grounded in what I feel the connections I feel to the source material. And so I'm kind of eager to see movies based on books that I like. Makes sense. I feel like Stephen King's stuff is pretty devastating. He writes just, uh, ruinous events to people's lives in ways that I sometimes just don't want to look at. I don't know what's going on in me that I just don't like that, but yet I am still kind of drawn to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I had awareness of this property and I was interested to see it and I'm glad I did. It was good. There is uh, some interesting and weird stuff in the book that they, some that they simplified and, and, and changed and some that they just dropped Bill's wife, the movie star, she's actually, uh, you know, comes to Derry in the book and she's kind of taken prisoner by Pennywise and uh, same with Beverly's husband, her abusive husband, Tom Rogan. He comes and becomes a figure. He kind of becomes possessed by Pennywise and 
but I guess I understand why bringing in other adult when they didn't even develop the adult characters they had all that terribly deeply, bringing in others would just have muddled it further. I wouldn't have even recognized them by the end. Yeah. Yeah. And the ending, uh, I don't know. I feel like they did enough. The ending is insane in the book. Uh, and they do a little bit of it with the the uh, the ritual of Chud and all that stuff, but it goes even deeper. And and Bill uh, and I think it's Bill and Richie go into the other dimension, and they have they like walk inside of Pennywise and crush his heart from in. They kind of did like enough of a nudge to it without like trying to film some really bizarre cocaine fueled nonsense. Yeah. I felt like Mike's character was so tiresome and such a bore that he acted like a spiritual guide rather than a real life human who was also yeah. being terrorized. Didn't it seem that way? Yeah. He, well, it felt to me like he was kind of um, stationed as the exposition character. Exactly. So he keeps on like telling more of the story. Everyone knows more than they're sharing. They have, they're too afraid to tell things that they've seen. I found that a little exhausting. Just like tell people what might right. keep them from getting killed or what you've seen or what you need to undo. Nope. All inside. There's a weird conceit of this story, which I do like, but I'm not sure that it w- worked in this movie, which is that you, you forget you know, you genuinely, the farther you get away from dairy, you you forget about the traumatic incidents and then it's kind of his job to bring them back and, and grease the gears and get them to remember. But yeah, it all becomes very convenient what people do and don't remember and how it works. And cause they're tr- trying to make an economical movie story out of it, even though it also ends up being incredibly repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had higher hopes for, for how the sequel would, would be. The first one is definitely the stronger movie. I think it's the stronger story in the yeah. novel because it doesn't have to come to a conclusion mm-hmm. and there's nostalgia for childhood and it's very relatable on the, they have to come to a conclusion in the second part. And that's the harder thing. And a lot of people have observed about these movies in their reviews of chapter two, that it is just on a more superficial level, much more interesting to watch children react and behave in the face of this kind of material than adults yeah that's probably true i mean i'm glad they had a couple children though they didn't the things didn't end well for them yeah i liked the economy of characters of children i liked that the children that we met who would be killed later we had met earlier more or less randomly yeah and i like uh pennywise a lot bill skarsgård's take on that yeah, character. I think I much really prefer it when different. it's acting based and and when it's him. Then the the dumb the the CGI monsters are never quite right. as interesting or scary. No, they're not. I I like the scenes where you know he's terrorizing children or you know before he attacks when he's yeah. just talking to them. I like that and that brief moment. So, but that's the thing too. This, this movie's just so strange. How they create this like you know. Beetlejuice level CGI old lady monster, but then they also have they they then transition to Pennywise in human form as her father. I thought that was much more creepy mm-hmm. and and emotionally impactful. They should have just done that. Yeah, I, I liked that scene with the weird old lady, even though it was in the trailer. 
It was, yeah, it was a very good menacing scene. I thought it got a little silly when it blew up and then the fact that they went another beat with the with the Pennywise stuff. But yeah, it was a very, yeah. very creepy scene and yeah. a good teaser for the movie. Yeah, great cast. I mean, horror movies don't get these names. Yeah. Um, I thought Bill Hader did a good job. Um, that Jessica Chastain is willing to endure this kind of a movie when right. she's of stature she is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it makes me a little disappointed that we didn't get a better, uh, that the drama and character work wasn't stronger in two, given the actors that we got. They managed to elevate the, you know, the filmmaking elevates the world, and I guess they elevated the script, which was not as strong as maybe it could have been. Yeah. Did you uh, see anything else, Dan? I didn't. All right, I have two quickie things. Um, I streamed something. I sh- I also told you I showed Booksmart to my wife, Shereen, mm-hmm. and she really loved it because it's great her only nitpicks were teacher things that i hadn't even thought of um that the last day of class is not really a party because there's still tests and and ceremonies and stuff and that graduation is not the day after classes end and where were the parents during the ceremony there were no parents there were no parents and why were the kids running the show all that kind of but that was those really were nitpicks because she very much liked the uh the movie and the characters and all that Gigi, yeah, it's, of a, course. it's a great yeah of course it's a it's a great high school movie i also took the time to listen to olivia wilde's commentary track and oh. it was not uh revelatory but it was very nice to hear her um enthuse about you know making a very very interesting and, and good first movie yeah i'm looking forward to her next one and i hope it uh yeah the details came out actually but i don't remember it sounds uh i think it's a crime movie yeah, now that you say that, I feel like I did also hear about it, and now I can't remember. But it sounded good. Uh, the only other thing I did, speaking of crime, was I streamed The Spy Who Dumped Me <laughs> because I needed something on in the background. So I, I went to Amazon and, and picked the dumbest thing that, that came that came up first that I would actually watch. And uh, it's not good. It's I believe that. Forgettable spy comedy. Good cast. I mean, well, Kate McKinnon, Jane Curtin. Yeah. Jane Curtin and Paul Reiser have a very interesting, they're like, as Kate McKinnon's parents, they're probably the funniest part of the movie. Well, if we're sharing random things we streamed, last night I did watch A Simple Plan for the first time. Oh, yeah. I was going to say I love that movie, but that is one that I remember loving and have not watched in 15 years. See, that would be a good choice. Maybe. Um, I, I, was really, I was really taken with it. I thought yeah. that um, it was interesting throughout. And... It would be difficult because it is a simple plan to think about what would go wrong or how could this unravel very quickly. I wouldn't immediately think how that would happen. And yet it absolutely did in a ways that had a lot of suspense. It gave a lot of room for the actors to give interesting performances. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I Wow. I hadn't thought about it in years. I, that might be a good one to revisit and have a bigger conversation about because I, mm-hmm. I remember really enjoying that movie. That's the Sam Raimi movie with uh, Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Bridget Good Fonda. Time. Yeah. Wow. She was kind of big around that time. All right. Well, anything else, Dan? Shall we take a break? Let's take a break. All right. Take a break and talk about uh, a feature film we have revisited after this. Bye.
And we're back. So, Dan, I guess it falls to me. I love the weeks that it falls to you. (laughs) I bet. Uh, Wonder Boys is a 2000 dramedy film directed by Curtis Hansen and based on the novel by Michael Chabon. I say Chabon. Chabon. That's nice. That's fancy pants. Adapted by Harry Potter adapter Stephen Cloves. It stars Michael Douglas as a um, graduate professor of literature named Grady Tripp. Robert Downey Jr. as his literary agent, Terry Crabtree. Toby Maguire and Katie Holmes as uh, James and Hannah, two of his grad students. And Francis McDormand as Sarah Gaskell, the chancellor of the university that employs Grady and the wife of Grady's department chair and Grady's pregnant mistress. Dan, I understand that you've read the book, Wonder Boys. Yeah, I went through a real Michael Shaben period, um, I don't know, like eight years ago, and I read okay. a whole bunch of his novels, including this one, and I really liked it. But okay. I don't think I saw this movie. I feel like I would have remembered having done so, but the movie yeah. came out way before I was interested in the novel, so it's possible I would have okay. missed it. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i describe the plot a little bit, and then we can get into um, thoughts and those kind of things. So Wonder Boys, the movie is I'd call it a character study of of Michael Douglas's character, this aging professor and author, and a series of misadventures that befall him. And, uh, oh, wow, I just activated Siri. I said a series of misadventures, and <laughs> Siri looked up the word misadventures for me. And that's staying in because that's just off-the-wall podcasting human interest misadventures that that uh yeah i think this takes place over like a a weekend right it's just a couple of days it's yeah it's real fast and uh so his wife has left him his mistress reveals that she is pregnant and his agent editor whatever he is uh shows up to pester him about his follow-up novel to his his one past publishing success of of many years prior and um he also becomes intertwined with a weird student named James, played by Toby Maguire, who is socially awkward, but a very gifted writer. And his editor, Terry, played by Robert Downey Jr., the always charming Robert Downey Jr., takes an interest in James that um, may not be limited to his potential as an author. How coy. Yeah, yeah. you got to be coy. you got to dance around this stuff. The plot is essentially that these characters and these weird situations all kind of collide. And in an early scene, two straight up crimes are committed by James. He shoots the Gaskell's dog and steals a valuable piece of memorabilia. Um, But neither act really has any consequences. (laughs) And they, they only kind of serve as like color and background noise and impetus for character conflicts and relationships and journeys and ultimately the movie i guess to me seems to be about grady's choice to embrace his life as it is rather than striving to regain things that he perceives that he may have lost so anyway that's like a a rundown of the movie i remember loving this movie i was extremely bored by it (laughs) This time, I did not love it, and I'm wondering what it's like for you as someone who had read and and enjoyed the book. Well, I wouldn't say that I was bored by it. 
Um, it certainly did seem of its time at this point. Like it was too close to the time of American Beauty really to have been influenced by it. But as I was watching, I was thinking, boy, this is a lot like American Beauty in the way that it plays out and just the way it lingers on pretty settings and there are menacing, troubled characters who are off in the background and undercurrent of danger, um, murder or suicide. Um, there's uh, ongoing drug use and even a whole bunch of trash that is swept up in the wind and sort of a beautiful moment, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the end. I thought, well, the novel is is meandering. I don't want to say it's meandering because it's intentionally so. What's the word I'm looking for? It's unfocused the same way that Grady's life is unfocused. And so is the movie where random people come in and come out, random absurd things happen, and then there's not really any consequence. And the events of the story to me are significant of Grady's own life. Nothing's moving forward. Just random things come into his purview and then out and it's gone. Um, in the novel, he does fall off that balcony at the end where he mm-hmm. doesn't fall. Mm-hmm. And as he's injured at the bottom, kind of in a drug and alcohol infused haze, the end of the novel is him realizing that he's going nowhere in life and he's got to get it together. And the film gave him that ending where it shows him apparently in a better place, not working at the university and in some sort of relationship with Francis McDormand and their child. And so I, apparently they hope for him from the novel that he's able to do what he hopes at the, at the literary end. Hmm. Um, and so because of that, this movie to me is kind of random where there's a character that you think is going to be important, but then they're just gone after a scene and thing to thing to thing to thing. And what does it come to? Well, it's the same as Grady's life. It came to nothing. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. So I guess I'll list some things that I like about the movie. I like the cast very much for the most part, the caveats to, to come. And um, I do like the, the, the aimless vibe. I felt like while I was watching it that I would probably rather be reading it. It feels like material that's better suited to prose and and reading. Um, I don't know. It didn't add up to much, and it seemed very random, like you say. I I like Pittsburgh as a location. I kind of, at first, I, I thought it had a, a Chicago-y feel to it, but then it, it, it is definitely Pittsburgh. I like when the, the there's a sense of location and place that permeates a movie. Um, I like Curtis Hansen as a director and he was uh, very prolific and wow, did he make diverse movies? If you look at the four movie run of river wild, LA confidential wonder boys and eight mile, like, yeah, there's some diversity there. Yeah. That's kind of extraordinary. Um, but I think this is my least favorite of the Curtis Hansen movies I've seen and I've only seen a few. Uh, Dan, I don't like the way that the dog is killed as a joke, almost, and then it becomes a running joke. It kind of just becomes a wacky thing that happens. And in you know, in Ebert's four-star review of this movie, he lauds it as being a screwball comedy slowed down, and that they he, he talks about how they wisely pull back from from being too screwball. But I, and it is definitely toned down. It's not a wacky comedy, but. At the same time, when things like that happen, it has a kind of a like a smirk on its face. And I 
I was horrified by that. And even though I saw the movie 20 years ago, I, something about it this time, um, I don't know if I'm just a, a woke soy boy, but I didn't enjoy that dog's corpse kind of just being a, a prop to like keep surprising characters. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's something that is easier to read than to watch mm-hmm. because it's something that's surprising and completely out of left field that happens. It, it's strange to watch at first the dog be shot and killed in a house. That's horrifying. And then later that it would be brought out of the trunk to stand in for James and his bed. You're yeah. putting a dead animal in your bed. What's wrong with all of you? Yeah. And then what happened to the dog after that? And really the, the family doesn't want to press charges that you murdered their dog. Right. With a gun. What's wrong with you? Um, yeah. A lot, a lot is wrong with them is the answer. James Lear seems like he belongs in a different dead poet society or something that he's this genius savant that is completely socially isolated or sad. But then you kind of learn that he's not that, at least in this characterization that I guess he was just highly boundaried. And then all of a sudden he lets his guard down and, oh, he just smokes weed and drinks midday and now he he's going to be kind of best friends. And sadly, he's moving on Grady's same trajectory. He's a younger version of Grady. Um, all the all the way to the point where it's announced that his novel's being published, and it gets this big applause in that assembly. Well, that's that was unearned. Do the people in the assembly room like even really know who he is, right. or care? Why is that some big success? It you probably he probably did write a big novel, but. He also went to bed with the publisher and in a literary way, he's on Grady's same trajectory of just abusing substances and being unable to live up to youthful success. You know, he is the new wonder boy that isn't very wonderful. And for a movie that bucks a lot of schmaltz and a lot of movie logic for most of its running time, I felt like the ending was very convenient and it was a very movie ending. Uh, And it sounds like it's been kind of mutated into that from from what's in the book. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I mean, it is pretty true to the book, but the ending is not. They kind of take a step beyond, if I'm recalling correctly. So let me float the suggestion that Tobey Maguire maybe miscast as james oh yes suggest away okay. i mean you could you could make that suggestion in most any movie he's in right as okay. far as i'm concerned it just seems like uh yeah i mean he's got that weird kind of his creepy smile but he he's creepy but he's not dark enough i feel like this character needs to have an edge yeah where... they, needed, they needed west bentley yeah, I, I thought maybe Jared Leto or even a younger like Johnny Depp, even though I'm not, I don't know if he would have been great, but just somebody who could bring a, a darkness to just a, just a mild behind the, you know, behind the scenes kind of darkness so that some of his actions would make some kind of sense. Yeah, what about like a Heath Ledger? Sure, yeah. Uh, I, I felt like that character and that character is the, the, the kind of the linchpin of everything. It's it's Grady Trip is the main character, but the stuff that James does in his relationship with with Grady and and he's the one who commits the crimes, you know, like it just felt like no, nothing rang true because of that. Yeah, I wondered about Robert Downey Jr. too. Not, I mean, he's a great actor and he did fine with the role. And I don't remember how he's introduced in the book, but it seems like he and Michael Douglas should have been more peers. 
that they've mm-hmm. had this long-standing relationship and I and I feel when and anything shaven like always like some did they didn't they turmoil mm-hmm. um between any of his male characters who are close and it didn't seem possible cuz they're like 20 years apart so they're not peers and so how is it that they've had this long ongoing professional relationship did you meet when Downey Jr was 20 and right. so that's how you've had the last 20 years that didn't totally make sense to me though I liked Robert Downey Jr in this role I liked the way the role is originally written too that he doesn't have hang-ups about himself and he just lives through life and does what he wants and doesn't seem to be uh, angsty or reflective. He just yeah. lives. Would an adaptation of this movie in 2019 be less kind of bunched up and weird about sexuality? I don't know. I think the sexuality element could remain the same. Um, the thing with uh, Antonio, what's her name? Slavniak or something. Mm-hmm. It's not clear if that character is transgender or if they dress in drag sometimes, or what's going on. That I mean, that's intentionally nebulous. The idea, though, that everyone at a, a particularly an academic party would be shocked by yeah. her entrance and trying to clock her or something, that to me would have been much different today. Hmm. It, it just felt kind of like it was, it all felt like dressing character business to make uh, Downey Jr., just seem kind of like uh, a, a reckless, dangerous character. And yet he was the most emotionally healthy character, it, yeah. it seemed like, mm-hmm. um, apart from uh, Katie Holmes. And I remember liking her character in the book. I don't remember if it's much different or if she gets much more to do. I thought it was interesting that um, Grady rejecting her advances was about the only ethical thing he did in the entire movie. Yeah, You'd think that someone like him, who is a walking train wreck and completely unethical in every area of his life, he just lives by his tenure and thinks he can get away with everything. And his wife has just left him and this has happened many times before and he's always under the influence. Wouldn't you think he would have gone to bed with her and yet he insisted on not, which I thought was an interesting choice from a character like him. Yeah. And is it uh, is it just that the one thing he's certain about is that he loves Sarah? Um, but even that is played as if it was nebulous for most of the of the of the runtime. I think so too. And did he really love her? It seems like he's almost writing his own novel in his head. He's he's using himself as a living character because what the work that you would have to do emotionally and logistically in life to bring that relationship to pass would cause so much loss between the two of them that ne- neither of them I I couldn't imagine being willing to go through with it. Yeah. And and yet he just so casually feels like they could. I feel like I should at least mention uh Rip Torn as Q, famous author and asshole. He plays with Aplom as he usually does. Uh not much to do really in the story, but it's always nice to see him uh and alan tudyk as um yeah the what's his name the uh janitor another another actor that i always enjoy seeing yeah i like seeing him too i randomly saw him in a play short-lived uh kristen chenoweth vehicle in the fall of 1999 which i guess would have been just around the time that he was filming this or had filmed it probably 
Um, and I just had remembered his name and then I'd seen him on TV or movies a couple times and always think of that. He's become a kind of stock, uh, good luck charm, Disney character voice. This movie was interesting. I looked back on, um, in one of my Oscar books cause I knew they had devoted some time to this movie it was originally supposed to be a late 99 release for the 2000 Oscars, which was the American Beauty year. And I wonder if it had been ready in time, if it could have been in the best picture lineup, if Michael Douglas would have made it into best actor in a different year. Hmm. Um, but it didn't. So it was released um, at a couple of festivals and critic screenings late in the year. That's when Ebert reviewed it. But then it officially released um, in February of 2000. And that was leading into the year that would be Gladiator, Crouching Tiger, Traffic that year that we've yeah. litigated before. <laughs> uh, and a, and we don't need to think about how it would have done because we saw how it would have done. Uh, people were generally disinterested in it, even though the reviews were so glowing. And at the beginning of the year, everyone figured, oh, this is a sure best picture contender. Michael Douglas has best actor in the bag. Nobody went. And it didn't initially make any money. I mean, it didn't ultimately really make any money either. I'm looking at $33 million on a $55 million budget. Um, at the end of the year, I think that it still seemed like a wide open race. And they even re-released it like in November and still nobody was interested. Hmm. And people were shocked when Douglas um, was passed over for a Best Actor nod. It was just that was the obvious lock nomination everyone thought was going to happen. And then it didn't. Yeah. And yeah, so it was just, just interesting that it seemed like such a such a wonder wonder movie itself at the beginning of the year and no one ever really knows anything. And it was just it had just completely fizzled. So that was interesting to me, especially this time of year when festivals are happening and you're watching people get really excited about movies on Twitter right. and then looking at Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic and seeing it really split. So that's another fun conversation we could maybe add when we're done talking about Wonder Boys' uh, festival updates. Right. Yeah. No, true. Things are about to get very interesting and exciting. I'm I'm having trouble keeping track of the things that I'm putting on my list. I, I don't have much else to say. What's the verdict? Um, for me, revisiting the movie, only having seen the movie, I was disappointed in 2000 that it wasn't another LA Confidential, but I remember enjoying it as a, a grown-up kind of scruffy comedy. Uh, I was largely just kind of, it didn't do much for me this time. I think Tobey Maguire is miscast. I think I would probably enjoy reading the book much more than watching the film. Yeah, I'd highly recommend the book as well as any of his other stuff, um, particularly Mysteries of Pittsburgh and Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, if you never mm. read it. That's the um, Pulitzer winner. Mm -hmm. And so I had no, at least, memory of this. I don't think I've seen it before. Mm -hmm. So I can't uh, gauge it now to then. To me, it was fun watching these actors. That's what I enjoyed doing. And, and just they're great, even from 20 years ago, watching Katie Holmes. I mean, was that pre Tom Cruise debacle? When did that happen? I think it might have um, been which, midst. Yeah, I'm not sure. Was it in the midst? Anyway, I, I always kind of liked Katie Holmes. Um, I agree. Toby McGuire is miscast. And I didn't get an emotional impact out of this movie, but I also did not mind spending a couple hours to watch it. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it till you just listed all of that, but yeah, I think almost everybody in this movie could, could get a job now. Yeah. They, uh, they're all still around except Riptorn, RIP. 
All right, so I guess that's Wonder Boys. Um, I have this penchant for choosing boring-ass titles to talk about. <laughs> so go me. Undefeated. I choose weird ones. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the proof's in the pudding. So I go for controversy. <laughs> so I guess we'll watch Birth of a Nation for next week. But <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know what I want to watch. Probably not Birth of a Nation. Okay. Uh, well, Dan, before we uh, sign off, you mentioned the ramping up festival circuit and the uh, the awards buzz and all the movies coming out. I mean, what there's we, every day I, I see three or four titles and trailers of things that I am excited about. What are you? What's on your horizon movie wise? All right, so we talked about it a little bit last week, but um, going back to Telluride, um, Marriage Story, obviously, I'm excited to see. Um, Waves was the big takeaway, and that's continued to stay on my feed. People are really mm-hmm. into Waves. And I mean, Parasite. Nobody, nobody can get a ticket. It. Wow. Who do you have to know yeah. to get into this movie? Well, and the reviews just keep, keep being so stellar, and people saying it absolutely lives up to the hype. It's just the best movie I've ever seen. Wow. So I'm so excited about it. I saw the trailer um, thumbnail on YouTube, and I did not click it because everybody oof. says to go in blind. I do not want to know. And then Twitter um, erupted at the after the Venice <laughs> Film Festival. Oh yeah. Um, when the Joker won the top prize. Right. You know, Lord. and you know, and Roman Polanski won, yeah. and Nate, what's his name? What's going on? Um, right, pretty, pretty, pretty nutty, and um, Goldfinch getting dragged mm-hmm. as one of the worst movies, and so boring, and I can't believe that because that was looking to be a major contender as far as any you know sight unseen yeah. by pedigree and rumor, um, but so that apparently is real bad, and um. People were really liking Jojo Rabbit, which looks very strange to mm-hmm. me from the trailer. It's not a movie based on the trailer that I'd be interested in seeing, mm-hmm. but people's interest in it makes me interested. But then you go to critic sites and it's got super mixed scores. Hmm. So I think it's divisive, um, probably too hard to win on a preferential ballot, but enough to get nominated if the people who really like it keep voting for it. Yeah. Have you seen any other of uh, Taika Waititi's films? No. Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, guy. Oh, oh he, you know what? You have seen a Taika Waititi movie because he directed What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, nice. Yeah. I remember that now. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week too, but I'm. it's remarkable to me just how many actual contenders and, and movies that, uh, that are must-sees, uh, at least in, in anticipation, are going to be on Netflix, which feels, feels like in past seasons, Netflix has had one or two titles like that. But mm-hmm. They have the King. They have the Irishman. They have Marriage Story. They they have a, a big pile of movies this year that I can't wait to see. Yeah, they do. I'm uh, super looking forward to watching that at home. Yeah, yeah, that's so convenient. All right. Well, Dan, it is a pleasure to talk to you about all things in life. Uh, movies, chief among those things. Um, sorry that uh, I pick lame movies. You don't I mean, pick lame you movies. You seem to like this one more than I did, so you're, I guess you're welcome is what I should I think I maybe did like it more than you did. Last week you liked Birth more than I That's did. That's true. All right, so let's just keep it interesting. We help each other. Yeah. Uh, we have been Dan and Josh. This has been our podcast. You can follow both of us on Twitter and Letterboxd. The show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Our music is by Jonah Rapino, and we look forward to speaking at each other and with each other and at you again next time. Thanks a lot. See ya.
and he was like, well, what would be wrong with making peace on the anniversary of 9-11? It would mean a lot to people. <laughs> and she's like, oh, please, what if Obama had done it? And it's like, okay, okay. Right. None of this needs to be <laughs> happening. You can tell when I, when oh, I, I... get stuff, can't you? <laughs> of course. You always cut out my best bits. Really? Yes. You keep, oh, you're keeping a record of this. I do. I think, oh, here comes the part where I said that insightful thing. Mm, gone. I rarely cut out anything you say. You cut out whole segments. <laughs> whole part. Sometimes your description of a, of a new movie that you've seen is exhaustive, and I, I look for ways to, to trim a little, <laughs> little bit, give it a little bit of, of, a, of a snip here and there. But. Well, thanks for helping sure. me. <laughs> I know you, that's what you want. Express myself. <laughs> Right. It's, I'm glad that I have a straight white man in my corner who can edit me down to something that public can that's what it is. connect with. Sure. That's why God put me here. Mm-hmm.